Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to a special short series of podcasts focused on the known Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. The people you will hear in these interviews have offered themselves up for the role of bishop. The elections will take place the first week of November in Houston, Texas, with a consecration service planned for November 5th. Each of these interviews was conducted via Zoom video conferencing during the month of October, and all seven episodes have been released at once, so you can hear all of them in short order. A couple of quick caveats before playing the recording of our conversation. First, the delegates have spent considerable time with each of the candidates at this point, so these interviews weren't really conducted for the people who will be electing bishops. The interviews were done with the idea that laity and clergy could learn just a little bit more about each of the people who have offered themselves up for the episcopacy. Second, I asked all the candidates the same questions. I didn't interject much and just let them talk. I did insert a question about where they saw hope for the denomination if they did not address that in an earlier question. So you'll notice me asking that question of some people and not of others. It simply had to do with the way they answered previous questions. Finally, as I record this intro, regular listeners will note that I have a bad cold, so I apologize for the squeaky and or gravelly voice. It was even worse during some of the interviews, so again, I apologize for the strange voice on my behalf. I think that's it. So without further delay, here's one of my seven interviews with Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction. Joined now by Reverend Dr. Lacey Warner. She is the Associate Dean for Wesleyan Engagement and the Royce and Jane Reynolds Associate Professor of Evangelism and Methodist Studies at Duke University Divinity School. For those of us here, those of us here in Kansas, Duke's usually a bad name, but we're not going to say that today. <laughs> it's just a good basketball rivalry. So Lacey, welcome to uh, In Layman's Terms. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. Share a little bit about your background, what you think is the most important stuff about your biographical information and what you're doing now. Absolutely. Thank you. So currently I'm serving at Duke University Divinity School, and I have taught there for over 20 years. My teaching is United Methodist Studies, so history, doctrine, polity, as well as evangelism and mission. So everything I do at Duke um, and anywhere, really, I taught at Garrett for a few years before that. Um, so all of these 25 years have been about teaching for the church, for UMC, writing for the denomination, for clergy and lay folks. Um, so I am... I am, I'm focused on the church and what I do. 
So for the last most of 15 years, I've served in senior administration. And in that work, I have led strategic planning, casted vision, cared for our 200 staff, uh, as well as almost 800 students. I have um, dealt with legal issues and also overseen our program budgets that are, are many million dollars, um, but also major grants that support the work of clergy and lay and local churches. Just for a hobby these days, not a hobby really, it's a, it's a serious responsibility and we enjoy it. Um, my husband and I are serving as interim co-pastors for two congregations that were left without a pastor during this season. So it's just a several months, but it's really lovely. So a two-point charge on top of everything else. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's let's get into your call story a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about how you how you got moved into ministry and what that was like for you. So during the week of my 16th birthday, I was in East Texas at a summer mission camp called UM Army. And I felt a call to ordained ministry. I was turning 16 and I was, I was cleaning the bathrooms <laughs> and I, I felt this overwhelming sense of joy, not exactly related to the chores, um, but in processing all that was going on that week. So I was reminded of God's love for me and Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, but I was more so drawn to this work. Like, how could we not do this? How could I not participate in ministry all the time as a full-time vocation? And so I had many, many questions when I came home and a youth counselor that I'm still in touch with, I texted her last week. Um, she continues to help me discern my call. Uh, we sat in her family room in a sunny corner on a couch and she she shared with me her sense of an external calling for me and helped me help me discern the possibility of an internal calling for full-time ordained ministry. So that was a long time ago and I was very young and I was not sure how all the details would be worked out, but indeed God did work them out, but that was the beginning of the story. Okay. Thank you very much for that. Um, maybe one of the more unique places to have a <laughs> to have a call to ministry come right just shows that god can reach you anywhere anywhere <laughs> anytime <laughs> that's right so talking about anywhere anytime um this is an interesting time in the life of the church mm -hmm. uh with everything going on with disaffiliations and just all the angst that we've had uh so why are you willing to be considered for the episcopacy at this time in the life of the church such an important question. This has been um, the guiding question of my last uh, many months. So I, I love the United Methodist Church. As I mentioned, I've focused all of my work and ministry, even in a Research One University, towards the church. And I am, um, I'm so committed in that love for the church. It's my family. So not just my um you know, the family that raised me, but also all of these students and pastors and lay folks that I have worked with and taught with and taught over these many years, these, um, you know, 25 years. So just thousands of people that I, I delight in their ministries and delight in God's calling through them. And we're in this particularly tumultuous season, and there is so much pain and so much hurt. And I really saw and felt that in a 
renewed way, I think it was renewed in a, in a, a different way when attending annual conference, you know, post COVID all together for the first time. And I just felt this very strong urge, um, this very strong draw um, from God to, to serve. And at that point, several colleagues came to me and asked me to consider putting myself forward, opening myself up to this discernment process for the episcopacy. And um, and asked me, I hate it when people, well, I don't hate, I love it when people say, you really need to pray. I'm like, hey, I pray. But no, it was like, you really need to pray about this in this way. And so my, my husband and I, um, we began to pray about it. And I did, I felt a kind of um, excitement and openness and that this season of learning and talking with people uh, and praying and um, just being a full participant in this discernment process, I am learning so much. So wherever God is calling me into this next season, um, I am committed to serving the church, particularly um, particularly in the midst of, of the difficulties. So it's not in spite of the season, but really because of the season that I want to bring my gifts and experience to bear in a, in a fresh and direct way. Yeah, fresh and direct way, I think, is a good way to, to put what I think a lot of people are looking for. Uh, so let me ask you this. How would you how do you intend to lead the United Methodist Church going forward in this season of disaffiliations uh, over human sexuality concerns? Uh, let's start with that one. Uh, what would what would your leadership be like? Yes, my leadership is characterized by active listening. Uh, so first active listening, but alongside clear transparent communication and process. So I, I was a part of my role at, um, at the Divinity School in teaching and in serving in administration. I'm constantly in conversation with folks. So some people are reaching out to me, I'm reaching out to them. And there's a way of sort of consulting with people all along. And so my, um, my leadership would be characterized by this you know, sort of constant relationship building and communication, um, but I and learning from folks, then casting a vision so that we can share in a Wesleyan ministry that's grounded in our roots, grounded in scripture, grounded in the love of God for all, um, and and help to um, create a a fair a fair field, right? So I would participate as long as possible and as long as helpful in abeyance of charges and trials. I would also do my best to extend the suspension of the trust clause so that everyone can find a place to worship God and to participate in their Christian discipleship. Because I think we have this opportunity to transition. And so helping folks in that discernment to actively discern with fair, clear information, fair process and clear information. Um, so that, that, that that's the process piece. And then there's also sort of the healing, rebuilding trust, um, addressing with God's help. It's not anything I can do, but the grief and fatigue that people are experiencing uh, from all sides. But, but as um, if elected to the Episcopacy as a United Methodist Bishop, I would advocate for the United Methodist Church and for United Methodist clergy and lay people so that we can know well how to participate in God's mission. Human sexuality is obviously the big issue uh, in our denomination right now, but I wonder what other issues do you see as most critical to the future of, of a healthy, vital United Methodist Church? So I have thought about our critical issues in three categories, and they overlap and, and um, 
and sort of inform each other. And so the first, which informs the others, is we really need time and space and practice to relearn, to re, um, to re-embrace our identity as Christians in the United Methodist Church and our purpose. And I, you know, obviously I teach UM studies. I could talk about that for a long time. Um, so our identity and purpose participating in God's work and God's mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, All right? But two, I do think our participation in repenting of systemic sins like discrimination against our LGBTQIA plus siblings um, to, to remove those constraints and alongside that repentance to also name the ways in which we continue to participate in systemic sins like racism, sexism, other kinds of structural, um, structural systemic sins. So redeploying our resources, understanding how we are complicit, um, and taking a long view. Like that's not work that would be finished in a task force, right? Like this is a part of our ongoing identity. And I'm I'm so um. I guess I'm I'm heartened by the ways in which this is occurring, that it already occurs. And so to continue to participate and to build on that strength. And then a third is that we really need to recruit effective clergy and lay leaders. The Lewis Center had put out their annual data sheets um, this week, I believe. Was it last week? It's very recently. <laughs> so very recently for um for 2022 and we are down in young clergy elder numbers. Um, our deacon numbers steadily rise, but comparatively, deacons are very small. And that, I think, is an untapped resource. Um, there's also licensed local pastors, and those, those have kind of plateaued. And then I think we have all sorts of lay people that may be called to ordain ministry, but they also may be called to different leadership roles within the local church. So to see all of us as baptized Christians called by God to participate in God's mission. So recruiting effective clergy and lay leaders as a third. So we have, there could, there are a number of issues, but those are my, are my um, three priorities. Very good. Thank you. So we obviously live in a fractured society and the church is a reflection of that society. Um, what would you do as a bishop to help unify the people remaining in the United Methodist Church? And how have you fostered unity and mission in either your current appointment or in a previous stop along your ministry journey? So, like I mentioned earlier, I, I believe that our, um, our shared grief and, and fatigue at this time in ministry is something that needs, um, needs intentional addressing we are um, we are broken, but we're broken also because we're we're just we're so tired and disillusioned. And so, facilitating that healing is is not just individual, but it's for individuals as well as for the whole, for for the annual conference or the district or the um, the general church. And so, how I I would seek to do this is to facilitate God's healing and rebuilding trust. You know, the Bible gives us wonderful resources for this: caring for one another listening, truth-telling, forgiveness, friendship, fairness. Um, if elected bishop, I would visit widely. Now, I realize that there are some places that are geographically very large. Um, I come from one of them, but I think it's important to get into the places where people are um, and to share that. So also to convene groups. So through, through listening, through building relationships, through worship, 
and through ministry. So I realized those are four things um, and they, they also inform each other, but through practices of, of listening and sharing and um, worshiping together and then working in our ministry together, having a shared vision for ministry, then well, I think this is a way that we can build unity that doesn't just focus on we are broken and now we want to be fixed. It's rather, it's about God's work in us as we participate in what God has for us to do. So how I have done this before <laughs> and um, in my roles at Duke, um, I, I was in a senior leadership role in 2008-2009 during the economic difficulties and the provost let us know that we could either cut by 30% or find some way to grow. So it was a, um, an, an invitation, quote unquote, to participate in a strategic, um, a focused strategic planning process. And the Dean um, invited me to lead. And so as, uh, as Associate Dean and then Executive Vice Dean, I um, embarked on a process. We, we were in a place of great um, conflict and difficulties, no shared vision, a lot of a lot of angst and anxiety in the system. And so I invited all the faculty to my home um, in small groups for dinner. And then we also convened groups of, of staff and then you know, faculty and staff together. So they had the same, I mean, we had the same thing every night for many weeks, <laughs> but, but it was, it was um, out of necessity. So we listened listen to their stories, listen to the hurt, um, had people listen to each other. Uh, and then we, um, we began to work. We broke up into groups and started to think about well, what are the kinds of things we can do. And we had this turning point moment at a, a retreat where everyone went into a small group and they were supposed to come back with, um, you know, there was no number specified, just what are the goals? Like, what are, what are your values? What do we need? And miraculously, Miraculously, everyone came back with the same two things. Now they were different words, but they were the same two things. And on those two shared values, we then charted a way forward, a way forward where um, we uh, implemented new degree programs. We even utilized hybrid technology, which I, I realized here we are <laughs> doing a podcast, but that's um, that was, that was not a likely outcome at the beginning of our process. And so now- this, In that era, right? I mean, that, it was right. before a lot of these types of things were going on, right? I was, I was just surprised that anyway, so it was this, it was this um, experience for me over 10 months to hold things loosely, but keep them moving, you know, not take things too personally, but um, keep listening, stay self-aware. And, and in the end, we, um, we implemented these new degree programs. Our enrollment is now um, at capacity and at record numbers, and we are more diverse. It's a more diverse and more church-oriented um, than we had been in previous seasons. So um, that experience, while I would not want to you know, take it um, literally, right? Like just say, oh, I'm gonna do exactly the same thing, but there's learning from that experience that uh, I would draw from and, and helping to facilitate healing and shared vision and ministry for our for our for our church. One question that I guess I want to ask, uh, based on some of the things you've told me, is I'm curious about where you see hope uh, for the denomination with your background and the things that you've seen and and uh, your ministry setting right now. You're you're working with a lot of a lot of 
with people of all ages, obviously, but there's a lot of younger adults and, and, and uh, obviously we have second career type folks that I'm sure are going through Duke Divinity School, just like all of our other seminaries. But where do you see hope from where you're serving right now? There's tremendous hope. So there's different facets to it. And one piece of the hope I sense is our continued understanding and embodiment of grace. So our doctrine of grace is so compelling for new and young people coming to the faith. And it's not a cheap grace. I don't, this isn't, the, but like a true sort of prevenient, justifying, sanctifying grace. Um, so that's the first piece. And then I see hope, um, I see hope inside the church, but the unlikely places I see it are outside the church that are speaking into the church. And so right now I am leading a, a Bible study in the community that came to fruition in December. Um, I was visiting a neighbor. I live in a, a rural area and this neighbor, um, they help out. We help each other out when we're out of town with our animals. And, um, and she owns, she's my child. She was my child many, many years ago, pre-K teacher's aide, but she owns a bar and she's just bought this bar since um, before COVID. So I try to go in and have this, she has Diet Coke, so it's okay. Like I go in and try to have something and see people. And I have met people and learned more about the community. And this, um, I, we were sitting around and uh, you know the rest of my family was out of town. So I had a couple hours and people started to join in. And they kept asking me about God, like God questions, church questions. And we talked and we talked and the group said at the end, we really want to be, um, we want to be, we want to have a Bible study. Will you lead us in a Bible study? And so we've been meeting basically every week since then. And people had not had communion. They had not been, they had not come to faith or been baptized. We had folks come to faith. We bapt, I, bat, I baptized them. And what's so cool. Okay. So you could say, okay, thanks, Lacey. That's outside the church. What do you mean? We want hope with the church. There are folks from the local church that are now attending the Bible study. And it's a bit um, like we study the Bible, but we're like, just really back. Like how did the, how did the scriptures come to be? And why did Jesus say that? I mean, the questions are just very candid and frank and raw. And it is it is so refreshing. And it's so, um, sometimes I get a little worried. I'm like, oh my goodness, how am I going to explain this in like one sentence? Um, and, but, but it happens in people... Um, people embrace and engage and they test me. They like push back and say, whoa, 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 wait. Somewhere else in the Bible, it says this. So we're really um, digging into scripture and faith and practice this group with the church. So folks are now coming to the church and we're, and we're going to a coffee shop um, to meet and also a funeral home. And it's just beautiful. So, um, so that was, thank you for listening to my story. I see hope in our doctrine and in how we live it out on the edges and that's with young people with diverse communities with um with folks who've been in the church for a long time but maybe haven't spoken up so i think in this time there's so much hopefulness we just we just need to see it like be ready be um be open to seeing the unexpected places of hope well, thank you very much before i let you go i, I got to ask you a, a kind of a lighter question here um Tell me what your favorite Bible verse is and why that one resonates with you. 
Okay, today, my favorite Bible verses, because <laughs> it's hard to decide. It's hard to decide, but today- I totally, I totally get that. It's probably an unfair <laughs> question, but I figured, you know, this is a way for people to kind of see inside a little bit. No, it's great. It's great. So I think my, um, if you know, there are different categories of favorite Bible verses, and this one has the most categories. So John 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the father sent me. So I send you. There's so much packed into this verse. And so the peace be with you that we, we receive, um, or the disciples in their fear and confinement in the upper room, Jesus goes to them and he says, peace be with you. And this is the, Jesus says it twice in the pericope. So it, we're not always, um, hearing it the first time or receiving it the first time. So there's the peace part, peace that surpasses all understanding. And then as the father sent me, so I send you, we're called by God and Jesus Christ and with the Holy Spirit to participate in God's mission. So I love that there's that two-dimensional peace. It's Jesus coming to us and then us being invited into this wonderful, amazing, miraculous mission of sharing that peace and love and grace with others. So I, I could go on. There's so much like around it. We learn so much about the Trinity and Jesus and Jesus's ministry, but those two pieces, peace and the mission, the Monsieur day of being sent. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Reverend Dr. Lacey Warner. Thank you very much for taking time with us on In Layman's Terms. Thank you. This has been lovely. All the best. been listening to one of seven brief interviews with Episcopal candidates in the South Central jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. I hope these talks give you some insight into the people who will serve as bishops, if elected, at the South Central Jurisdictional Conference the first week of November. And if one of these people turns out to be your new bishop, now you will have at least a little insight into their call stories and a little more information about how they intend to lead your annual conference. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.